This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me just start with a moment to go before the Lord and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your son. Lord, I pray that your spirit would give us soft hearts as Jesus has some hard things to, to, for us to hear. Lord, I pray that we would have our desires and our, our orientation about everything in our life to be upwards, to the upward call of God that's in Christ so that the glory and the majesty that, that we can find peace and rest in your presence. And I thank you that your son, as our priest, intercedes in our behalf and is working as we're united to him to draw our hearts and our minds up to up to your glory. Lord, I thank you that Jesus, especially as we read and understand him in the book of Luke, has has demonstrated to us the path to that glory, the path to the, the peace and the joy and the love and the fullness that's found in your presence. Lord, convict us of the wonders and, and majesty of, of your character so that as we look at the way, as we as we're confronted about some difficult things like Jesus, we could look forward to the glory that's set before us. So I thank you for this time to just consider this passage and yeah, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to approach life the way Jesus did so that we could follow in his path to glory. In your name I pray, amen. So our series, um, we're calling it The Path to Glory. We're, we're, we're watching Jesus enter into this world, take on flesh. And, and in our Advent series, we talked about how the lowly rejoice. Like they were, you know, the, the number of like songs that just came out of the people who heard the good news of, of the reality that, that Jesus, that God himself would, would come down in such a lowly place to lift up the lowly and to exalt them and to bring them to glory. There's all this rejoicing. And, and from there, we took some time over the last couple of weeks in our, in our series as we started the, the year to talk about Jesus particularly as the guide. Like if this is our path to this glorious existence in the presence of God, then, then we need a guide who is qualified. And, and, and the reality that Jesus is, is not just another good teacher, not just another prophet, not just another uh, king in a sense. He's unique in the fact that he is the second Adam. He's another representative of all who would come underneath and all who would be united to him. He's a, a second representative in a way that only Adam was at the very beginning of the story. So that gives Jesus a measure of credibility that his, his unique nature as our guide gives him a ton of credibility. And then we spend some time then, okay, well then what are, what are some things that he, he says? What's the, the weight of his words as he then communicates? And hopefully what you took away from last week is that words as God creates through speech, words in our lives, at our workplace, in relationships, words hold a lot of weight to kind of drag us down or to lift us up. And more than any words that we hear in our life, the words that Jesus says, the words that come from God himself, really should hold the most weight. 
and how we look at the world. So we were talking about this unique reality that who Jesus is as the God-man means that the things that come out of his mouth should be like a thunderclap to define reality for us. The things that come out of his mouth are something that we should take real serious and ask that God transform those words to have more weight in our life than the, the rest of the words that we hear around us. Hopefully no one's getting robbed and it's just a button. Do we need to help? Cole's gonna find out. <laughs> so. so this morning, this morning we're gonna start this shorter section called The Way. Such a weird sound. Huh? Sounds cold. Well, we'll, there's a whole group of people that will be more than happy to jumpstart whoever's car dies from from its alarm going off. So this morning, we're going to start a couple of weeks. I I think we have two or three weeks planned in this next section called The Way. And I, I'm calling it, you know, I, it's not just that we, we're saying this is the path to glory, and you could also call it the path, you know, um, and it would be a little repetitive from the broader title and the subtitles, but I, I was intentional about this. It's called the way, because when we look to understand Luke and what Luke wrote, the gospel of Luke is only the first half of the story. The gospel of Luke is only the first half of what Luke wrote. The second half of what Luke wrote is the book of Acts. Um, I have the verse on the screen, but if you look at the first couple of verses in the book of Acts, you can see what he means. This is Luke speaking. He says, to the first book, what we're all studying, O Theophilus, same introduction to the, the first book that, uh, of, of Luke. He says he writes it to Theophilus. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd been given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He's saying, I I started to explain what Jesus began to do in Luke. So we're looking at this this big book. If you get your journal Bibles, this is the author is saying, look, you have the first part. You have the beginning of what Jesus was going to accomplish until he was taken up and sitting on his throne and accomplishing even more, which is the second part, which is the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, six different times, Luke refers to our Christian life as the way. And he actually re- refers to our Christian life as being known publicly as the way before it was known as Christians. Like even in Luke, he says, well, this is when they first started us calling us Christians over here. It's like a kind of a side comment in the book of, in the book of Acts. But if you look at chapter, Acts chapter nine, just one example of this, and this verse is on the screen as well. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. Saul is persecuting the Christians, which they're not called Christians, so that he found if anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul's like, anyone that belongs to the way, I'm going to imprison them. This is what it was known. This was, it was known as the way 
and that's not a title that kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, we could take some time, but we're not, to turn back to the book of Proverbs. And the number of times, even chapter two is a really good example in the book of Proverbs. It says, the way of the wicked, blah, 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 all these things, not so good. But the path or the way of the righteous, all of these good things. And if you just search the way or the path in Proverbs, you'll see that all over the place. The, the, the book of Proverbs is communicating the life of the believer, of the one who would follow the way. And so here's Luke writing Luke and writing Acts, writing the first part, writing the second part. And so we zoom back into where we're at and what we read. And Jesus is communicating in a similar way little proverbs, little snippets, wisdom, pieces of wisdom to help us understand what our life should look like as we follow him. He's helping us understand what would be in early Christianity called the way. How we practice our life that enables us to follow him. And so if you take your journal Bibles or just your Bible, I want to start with this, this proverbial things that we're understanding in, the, in what we just read by giving you kind of the conclusion kind of the way Jesus summarizes it. So if you, if you flip forward to chapter nine, verse 23, and this isn't on the screen, I just encourage you to look in your Bible. If you flip forward to chapter nine, verse 23, here is Jesus helping us understand what the way looks like in, in its broadest sense, sort of in the, this is the conclusion of this section. And then we're gonna zip back and see a couple of little pieces from the Beatitudes that make sense of this and hopefully wrestle with that in a way that's helpful for you and I. But here's Jesus summarizing the way in verse 23. He says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, if you wanna follow my path to glory, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And the disciples know what he's talking about. The cross is a, a torture death device. It's not a pretty James Avery necklace, you know. I think I've thrown James Avery under the bus like a few times from the pulpit, so I feel bad. So I grew up with, it was like the most popular store for cross necklaces. <laughs> cross necklaces are also great. <laughs> but at this time, if we're to go back and say, when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's talking about torture. He's talking about death. He's talking about shame, embarrassment, the worst. He says, if you want to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world or for, and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, if you don't like what I have to say, this is what Jesus is saying, are you ashamed of me and my words? Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Here's the reality. The way 
the path to glory is through suffering. The way is through suffering. No matter what other details we want to fill in, and we're going to fill in some over the next few weeks, if we want to follow Jesus to glory beyond anything we could ever imagine, if we want to have peace and rest and love and fulfillment in the presence of God, know him better, love him more, experience him regularly, daily, then it's through suffering. Those aren't fun words. I could understand why Jesus would say, hey, if you're not a fan of my words, then I won't be a fan of you on the last day. Because they're not easy for us to hear. There is good news, and we're going to look at that a little bit in the Beatitudes. We're going to talk about the way it's suffering, but we're going to see how suffering also, it has wisdom. Suffering has wisdom. There's wisdom in suffering, something that we can lean on, something we can orient our life around. There's fruit that comes from suffering. A lot of what we desire, a lot of what we want to see fixed in the world, the fruit of our suffering as believers is, is exactly that. It's like what we're longing for. And then the reward. We'll see that suffering has a reward. So that's what we're going to look at for the rest of our time this morning. We're going to see the, the, the wisdom, the fruit, and the reward. Uh, there will probably be an outline up there for the majority of our time because we'll be in Luke. So the, the wisdom, the fruit, and the reward. So go back to chapter 6 and where we read in the Beatitudes. So we're going to uh, jump back to verse 17. A lot of people are familiar with uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That's another place where Jesus is sharing some of the same things. Um, we say, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For they shall see God. We, there, there's, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is very much oriented around sort of this otherworldly reality. As we, we've said at Emmaus, if we, if we humble ourselves before God, as we, if we know we have nothing to offer to God, then we're reminded that he still loves us. We're reminded that we, we uh, in a sense, in spiritually in this, in this reality that's beyond what's temporal, we don't eat this bread so that you and I can have enough food for the day. We eat that bread to say that we need Jesus to fill us. We need his perfect life to transform us and change us and shape us into who we are. And that's a lot of what Matthew is saying in the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is, is sharing those realities. But Luke is a little bit different. It's different in a way that people have tried to kind of read in what Matthew is saying and try to mesh these things together. But it's pretty obvious from the text that Jesus is often, you know, he's got a multiple year ministry preaching all over the place all the times. It's pretty uh, clear from the text. This is a different sermon. This is a different topic that he's focusing on. 
and he's, he's saying it in sort of the same sort of like snippet wisdom literature type of way, like a way that Proverbs would communicate. And if you look at verse 17, it says, he came down with them and stood on a level place or on a plane. Some people call this the sermon on the plane. It's a different sermon in a different place. And so I think whether Matthew was circulating at the time, we don't know. It's, we're, it's sheer guess which one came first. But I imagine that Luke is familiar with the teachings that Matthew is familiar with as well. So he's, I think, I think there is a, he's making a particular point right here of this different sermon. In verse 20, instead of speaking to the crowds, Jesus is speaking particularly to his disciples. He says, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, there are crowds, crowds are there. And I sort of like imagine Jesus like preaching to the crowds and the disciples kind of like kicking back, like watching him do his thing. And then he's preaching the crowds and he's like, you guys, (laughs) I'm turning to you now and I'm communicating to you who have committed to following Jesus. And he says, blessed, blessed, the easiest way for me to understand bless or blessed is communicating you're better off. You're better off if you're blessed. It's, it's like you're adding something to my life in a way that makes me better off. And look at what he says. I know, she doesn't like it. It's a tough saying, Eva. <laughs> Blessed are you who are poor. He was the most blessed, aren't you, girl? <laughs> Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. He's not saying spiritually. <laughs> Think about that. You're better off poor. You're better off hungry. You're better off sad. Tells us why. You're better off poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You're better off hungry, because future tense, you will be satisfied. You're better off sad, because future tense, you will laugh. How do we make sense of this? I don't like to be hungry. <laughs> Period. I also don't like to be broke. I definitely don't like to be hungry. Those are usually related. How do we make sense of this? I think there's a couple things that help us understand what Jesus is saying. As we think about the way, as we think about the proverbial this and that nature of what 
Jesus is communicating. When we, uh, if you read the Proverbs, here, I'm just going to flip to one at random. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. It's probably just making the point that people who are generally poor are not paying attention as much to kind of their financial situation. Does that mean that every poor person doesn't pay attention to their financial situation? Of course it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. But it's a proverb. It's saying generally this is true. This, these snippets by themselves are generally true things that if you really took these snippets to heart, it would give you wisdom. And so we've been talking about for a long time, we, you and I, naturally desire things of the world. Like, like I don't have to come up here and tell you to like, try to make more money at work. No, just try to make more money at work, you know? Like, stop asking for demotions, you know? No, no, no one's doing that. Like you're, but, but we naturally go to the things of the world and pursue them, and Jesus is giving us wisdom and saying, guess what? You're better off if that's not true. You are better off understanding and drawing near to the blessings that are in God that are beyond this world if you have less of the things of the world. Generally, that's true. I don't have this quote on the screen, but I like what Flavel says. In this regard, he says, Oh, how many have been wheeled to hell in the chariots of earthly pleasures. Oh, how many have been wheeled to hell in the chariots of earthly pleasures. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, You're blessed if you're poor, you're blessed if you're hungry. You're blessed if you're sad. You're better off because you're finding, in that case, generally disciples. He's speaking to his, his disciples, those who love him and follow him. He's saying, generally then, your joy and your peace and everything about who you are is more centered on, on God himself. He's trying to communicate to us that in our suffering, there's real wisdom there. There's real wisdom there. He says kind of the opposite thing. He says, but woe to you who are rich in verse 24. Again, these are little, little snippets, little truisms, little proverbs that help us know the way. What, what should our life be shaped like? What's the wisdom that should orient how our life goes about, how we do our life? He says, woe to you who are rich for you've received your consolation. You found rest in the world, not in the Lord. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. 
Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus' words, as he outlines the way of suffering, these phrases, these little proverbs, we have to believe that this is wisdom. We have to believe that this is wisdom. Everything inside of us, if we're taking this at face value, which I think is what Jesus is encouraging us to do, is saying, I'm not better off if I'm broke. I'm not better off if I'm hungry. I'm not better off if more people don't like me. I'm definitely not better. I mean, I need people to like me. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, wisdom says... God says that you are better off. You're better off if you're hungry, if you're poor, if you're sad, if you're not popular. Generally, it's true, it's wisdom, because then our peace and our joy and our affections have to be raised up to God. We have to believe that that's wisdom. I like what Thomas Watson says. Another quote, you just have to listen. Again, he's saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. Just trying to reiterate this point that we're actually better off in our suffering because it helps us draw near to God. He says, the rich man's table is often his snare, his trap, because he is ready to engulf himself too deep in these sweet waters. In a sense, it is hard to know how to abound. Like, it's hard to be a Christian and have a lot of things because we so easily fall into the trap of finding our joy and peace in those things. Oh, the hazard of honor, the damage of dignity. And I like what he says here. Pride, security, and rebellion are the worms that are bred in plenty. Worms are you. I don't, I can't, I just can't. Like when it rains and they come out of the ground. Pride, security, and rebellion are the worms that are bred by plenty. We think about this this wisdom that Jesus is giving us and these statements is meant to go somewhere. (laughs) Like he's transforming us and shaping us and molding us to be a light, to to stand out in a world that would disagree with everything he just said. 
to stand out to others that would completely reject the statements that Jesus just said. Or maybe they want to spiritualize it, you know? But what comes from that wisdom, the fruit of that wisdom, the thing that pours out of taking that wisdom to heart and really believing what Jesus is, is saying is wonderful, is amazing, is what is really kind of what everybody wants. Look at, look at what he says in verse 27. We want people to be kind to each other when they don't deserve it. We want people to be gracious when it's difficult. We want people to just give out of their abundance for others who are in need. All of us want that. You, you can go to any of your friends and talk about the problems in the world and say, wouldn't it be nice if they were better? And everyone says, uh-huh. <laughs> and if your friend doesn't say that, make sure they see a therapist, you know? <laughs> but we want things to be better. We want fruit. We just don't want it the way that Jesus says. We don't want to accept what he has to say. We want to kind of accomplish it in our own way. Look at the fruit of wisdom, he says in verse 27. But I say to you, disciples, those who follow me, who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. But Lord, if I do what you're saying, if I love people that way, if this is the fruit of what you're doing in my heart, I might be sad. I might be more broke. I might not be as well off in this world if I just give so graciously and care so openly to everyone around me. And he's saying, uh-huh. <laughs> then you can raise your affections up to something that never changes. That's why it has to start with the wisdom down there. It has to start with believing the reality that I'm actually better off if I'm not attached to the things of the world. So if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Again, he's talking to his disciples. He's like, you want to follow me to glory, to majesty, to eternity, to peace, to joy? How does this benefit you if you act like everybody else? Caring for someone, serving someone that gives something back to me just repeats that cycle of finding my joy in this world. <laughs> You don't need Jesus to help you with that. <laughs> what benefit is it to you if other people just help you be obsessed with and find your joy and peace in this world? It doesn't get you anywhere. There's no fruit that comes from that. It just perpetuates your selfishness. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? If you lend from those who expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. 
to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. But Lord, then I might be poor. And you'd be better off for it. You'd be better off for it. Because you'd find more joy and peace in God himself. It's hard to hear these things. I don't like it. I'm not a fan. And I, 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 say, I almost don't want to say this caveat, but don't hear me as saying, empty your bank account today and go be homeless because you'll be better off. Wisdom is considering all of Scripture, but I'm just going to say that I would guess that generally for us, we don't struggle as much to steward and to consider the things we have in a way that can honor and glorify God, we probably struggle a little bit more letting them go. We probably struggle a little bit more if the savings account isn't the right size. Or the meal we want isn't as glorious. Or if we say something hard and I have to suffer because my friend doesn't enjoy to hear that. Nobody wants relational suffering. I'll, I'll give all kinds of money away. I just don't want to have to deal with like the difficult relational things. That's much harder. But there's wisdom in suffering that produces fruit that makes us look like God. And there's a reward. There's a reward in that. Like he's not just saying, go suffer, you know, like me, it was lame. As Jesus was on this path to glory, the book of Hebrews says, he looked forward to the joy that was set before him. This morning we prayed about the hope in the saints that we would like know and dwell and sit on that and rest in that hope. Because there's a reward in our suffering. Verse 35, love your enemies do good to those, lend, expecting nothing in return. Why? Your reward will be great. Look at verse, uh, go backwards, go backwards. He says the same thing in verse 23. Uh, we'll start in 22 and he says, you're better off, you're blessed when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Are you, you following the words of Jesus and other people think that's ridiculous? Rejoice, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Amen. Your reward is great. I think we have to be careful with that word reward. Our hearts are very good at taking true things and making them just like a little bit off so we cling to them and think that it's like words from God. So I think, well, 
if I just give of myself to the situation, then it'll be fixed and my life will be easier and I won't have to suffer anymore with this thing. Reward. That might be true. Like when we offer ourselves and we love others and we care and we lean in and we ask the spirit to work, sometimes things happen that we're just like, wow, look what God is doing. It's amazing. But we have to be careful not to orient our hearts to that being the reward. We're calling this here the path to glory because in all of these things, the only reason why Jesus could say we're better off when things in this world are not so good for us is because the reward that is being offered is God himself. Or as Paul would say, the upward call of God in Christ. As we, as we seek that reward that is the presence and glory of God and we suffer in this world, he will give that to us. Like he will actually give us more sense of his presence, more sense of his glory, more sense of his peace, more sense of his love for us. And I think when we honestly look at what Jesus is saying, when we look at the wisdom of suffering, we look at the way he describes fruit as loving those and not expecting anything in return. The weight of that can feel like crushing. If we think about how much I don't like what Jesus is saying, better that you're poor it's better that you're hungry it's better that people don't like you I don't know like some parts of me really hate some of those things maybe I'm like oh well over here I'd like to do this I don't really know this one I don't want to la 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 and we think about how love looks as sacrificial and self-giving and oriented towards the reward of God it's easy and and I think appropriate to going back to Matthew and saying those who are poor in spirit will see God. It's okay to say, Lord, that's not me. Confess and say, that's not how I think. I don't like Jesus's wisdom. That's not who I am. but that's okay. Your ward will be great and you will become like the sons of the most high. And let me explain to you what Jesus is like, what God is like. He says, for God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Oh, we are so ungrateful. I'm ungrateful. Something comes into my sphere that messes up whatever rhythm in my life I was leaning on. And all I can think about is the annoying things I don't have. I'm not praising God for everything he's also provided. I'm just ungrateful for the situation didn't come the way it was. It's evil that you and I would hear Jesus' words and say, no, you're wrong. That's evil. 
Like that's where our hearts are at. But the beauty of the disciples of God is saying, I want you to look this way. I want you to show yourself to love others who hate you. I want you to give to people that take advantage of you. I want you to sacrifice yourself and take up your cross daily and give up your life because that's who I am. That's God. That's his character. At the deepest level, chapter one of this book, shameless plug, he's gentle and lowly. He's just, and he will not let anyone get away with anything ultimately in the end and thankful that the wrath was poured out on Jesus. But his justice is only a result of the fall. It wasn't, he doesn't have, there's no such thing as justice in the nature of God with no sin. There's just love and grace and kindness. And so then when we fall into despair, when we don't like what Jesus says, when we act in a way that's evil, he's saying, but who I am is to love you. Who I am is to care for you. Who I am is to continue, come after you and draw you up into my presence. Who I am is gonna completely bring circumstances that rattle everything around you so that you could be better off finding joy and peace in me. And I think as we find more rest in him, he changes who we are and we begin to step into situations where maybe we're taken advantage of. We step into situations where maybe we're not financially better off because of it. And we ask God to draw us up to him and have a sense of who he is. We look forward to that reward. We'll know his character and his love for us that much more because you and I are doing the same thing. Like we'll understand him, we'll grow in the knowledge of him because we act like him, because we look like him. This is why Jesus can say, the way, you know, this is kind of, this is like the part of the sermon. I'm like, all right, take these three things and go home and do whatever, you know? But if you walk away from the sermon thinking one thing, you should believe that there is wisdom, fruit, and a reward in suffering. It's not a oops. It's not a detour. It's the way God works. It's the way our life is shaped. And it's hard and it's difficult. But there's wisdom there. There's beautiful fruit that comes from that. And there's a reward. More of the presence of God, more understanding of his character, more realizing how much God is a merciful God. I 
We're going to look at some of the specifics that Jesus brings up over the next couple of weeks. But we think about the way, the, the shape of our lives, the path to glory. Suffering is a major part of it. But the good news is it's just not random. The good news is that there's purpose, there's joy, there's something to be had in that. So let's pray and ask God to help us believe that. Father, help us this morning. Help us just trust the wisdom that comes from your son. Lord, with the disciples, you peeled back the sky and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Pray that you would help us listen to him. Help us see the wisdom in taking up our cross daily. Help us rejoice and give thanks to you when we see the fruit of your work in our hearts. And Lord, as, as a group of disciples, as people who are in a small community struggling in this world, I pray that you would encourage each one of us to point each other to the reward Amen. that is knowing you better, experiencing you more, bringing you glory and honor because we look like you. We look like people who love the ungrateful and the evil because that's what you do. Or do you love us because we're ungrateful and often evil? I thank you for that, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.